Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 1, Episode 1, our podcast of the Intelligent Campus with Greg and Don. Our hosts are Greg Kovich, Global Sales Director for Education at Alcatel-Lucent Enterprise, and Don Otto, Director of Network Services at Ridley School District. With decades of experience between them, Greg and Don will regale you of the triumphs and tribulations of a lifetime spent in IT for Education. Today's episode is titled, Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow, Technology and Education. So let's fire up the Wayback Machine, and Greg and Don, take it away. <laughs> Blaine, thank you so much. I can't wait to regale someone. Uh, Don, when was the last time you regaled anyone? Oh, it's been a very long time, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I'm really thrilled that you uh, accepted the offer to to join me on this call. And I think that, you know, we both, um, you much longer than myself, but we both have had experiences in, in education as technology directors leading our districts through this whole transform, transformative period. Now, mine, my, my experiences stopped just before the turn of the century. <laughs> talking like an old guy, but, um, you know, you, you've seen all of this incredible, uh, you know, just this burgeoning use of technology where it was, you know, from computer labs to now one-to-one -one initiatives and even beyond. And I just wanted to, you know, kind of lay out, you know, ask you for one, for me, you know, what was the most like antiquated, you know, what did you walk into when you came to Ridley school district? Well, I, I walked into a programming position. Uh, back in the day, we used to call them mainframes. Um, <laughs> the, we, uh, we had uh, the hardware and the software was rather expensive. Uh, and we had uh, uh, payroll systems and uh, accounting systems. And I started off as a COBOL programmer uh, for the district writing uh, specialized software for the district on these uh, high-end uh, mainframes. Wow. Uh, so that's kind of, was kind of the starting point, and we used to call the, the term data processing uh, is what it used to be called way back in the day. Um, and uh, that's pretty much how I started off uh, in the programming role. Uh, what year was that? What, let's, uh, that let's... Was, I started uh, full-time really in 1986, so it was really oh. pretty much before the Internet was even out there. Uh, yeah. The ARPANET back in the day, but... Um, yeah, so we had mainframes and, uh, you know, similar needs, you know, data processing. We had to get reports out of the system and uh, it was more business related at that point in time. And there was really no um, educational technology really back, back mm -hmm. that far. Um, mm -hmm. It was pretty much uh, uh, TRS-80s in the classroom or in, in some computer labs way back um, with, uh, you know, just word processing really is all that was kind of uh, back in the uh, mid to late 80s. Gosh, Don, I'll tell you, like, because I, I didn't join uh, the, my school district, Munster Schools, until uh, 1993. And we, it, and it was a, it's a wealthy community, Munster is, and um, they had always looked at wanting to make sure that they serve the students' needs. And so there was always technology there, like computer labs. Right. And, you know, and I remember when I went to high school, too, there was typing labs. So these typing labs got, uh, the typewriters got, got switched over to computers so that we can do, like you mentioned, word processing. But they didn't have an AS400 or any of the IBM stuff. I, but they did have a mishmash. For me, it was, it was I walked into an ArcNet, uh, EtherTalk, EtherNet, and oh one other one and i can't remember what it was and i had to unify all that and oh my gosh yeah 
Well, that was in the 90s, I guess, right? That was- yes, it was. Yeah, 93. Yeah, so seven years after you started over there. And it kind of, to see to see that, so you... Yeah. The- <laughs> yeah it's, I'll, I'll tell you what, there was a big argument, I guess, back in the early 90s, whether ATM was going to uh, be the leader when telecom was just kind of coming through fruition and trying to attack the network side of things. And then there was gigabit Ethernet. So they were kind of the battling technologies in the uh, in the... Uh, I don't know if it was the early '90s or the late '90s. Oh, you know what? You're absolutely right. It was. Uh, was so I had a uh, I had a very large RFP. We were renovating the entire district, and at that time, um, the internet had been out. Some of the school districts around us had it, and again, Munster, being a, a very forward thinking and looking for the for the students' benefit, were saying we need to bring these technologies in house. And so, and that was why they created my position. Right. And when I went to bid. Uh, or when I went to RFP, I was asking for uh, essentially an Ethernet network. That was what I wanted. Well, Freecom no longer with us, and that's oh, okay. that's another. Yeah, think about all the companies that we. Well, that was with. that was my big company when we built our first network in 1993. It was the first wide area network. We had Freecom as our network infrastructure back then. Uh, Net builders and. Uh, yeah. And you can't, they were a great company. You couldn't, uh, you know, the technology was solid. They, the one thing I have to say though, and it was, and maybe for those listeners out there, um, the sales team didn't listen to me and they kept coming back with a design that had ATM in it. And they kept yeah. telling me that the reason why we wanted ATM was that there was going to be a, a boatload of video, which at the time I agreed, you know, I'm not, a, my wife is an educator. That's as, that's as close as right. I get to being a guy that's serving the kids, you know, but she, um, you know, the, when we were doing the RFP and we were, um, you know, trying to realize this vision, we had teachers involved and everybody wanted media retrieval. And so I said, Hey, video is going to be delivered via TV and the traditional mechanism. Yeah. I'm sorry. I can't, uh, you know, I, I can't buy into this. And plus they were super, you know, they were super expensive. I ended up going with a different, uh, different manufacturer than three com, but three com was the company I wanted in my network. Yeah. That was a big push back then. We we called it voice, video, and data, and a, a lot of the C, the telephone companies they were pushing, you know, all three types of medium, thinking that they would all, you know, you would need this high end ATM network because they were, that we had the same discussions with some of our folks as well when we were building uh, or renovating our network back in the mid '90s, I guess it was, um, and then we all uh, finally decided to stick with Ethernet as as the foundational piece for for our wide area network. Um, uh, build out that we had in fact in 93 um we did put and that was our first wide area network and we actually put an ethernet drop in every single uh classroom space in the school district um uh, we had and we had lc3s we went with apple uh and we're still apple here uh we had put an lc3 in every single classroom back in 1993 uh with our ethernet network we had um, our WAN connections were like 72K uh, compressed codex modems that would <laughs> connect the elementary schools. And we had, uh, I think we had a T1E1 uh, connecting our high school. And we actually uh, had a Wi-Fi connection to our middle school. It was called, it was uh, Persoft Intersect Remote Bridge. It was a uh, spread, spread spectrum technology, I think it was called. It was an NCR Waveland card in these two PCs. And then we had a YAG, an antenna on the roof pointing over there. And we were getting about a two megabit uh, connection. So pretty much getting T one E one speeds uh, over the airways. So that was, Dude, first- I can't, I can't believe that. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I can't believe yeah. that you 
that you did that. I got a grant from the National Science Foundation to do that at Munster. And I tied in from our central office, which was on the same campus as the middle school and high school. Then I put in a a direct sequence spread spectrum um, system that tied in the three elementary schools. And I went from spending, I don't know, God, you know, 56K, you know, was probably about, I don't know, 800 or $900 a month. Yeah. Yeah. To where I, I got like, you know, 10 times that, uh, that bandwidth and it was, you know, paid for by a grant. It was so yeah. nice. Yeah, well, nice. Good for you, buddy. Yeah. Cutting grants grants are great, man. It's a good <laughs> way to get, get stuff in place, but, uh, it's, it's, you know, maintaining that over the life and it's only gotten, you know, as, as we move up through the, through the decades and, uh, you know, it's, uh, the costs are a little different. And, you know, when, when we're moving from that kind of technology back in the early nineties, you know, and, and we need more bandwidth to interconnect our school buildings, you know, it's amazing to, to reflect back and see what we were working with, with the few applications, whether they were educational at the time, uh, not so much. It was more about getting teachers involved as the starting point Yes. to understand that how to, you know, uh, you know, teach in this new uh, electronic or digital world. Um, uh, I mean, it seems like we're still fighting some of those struggles today, you know, with our faculty. Uh, but, you know, there are different kinds of struggles, whether, you know, it's now it's about using LMS systems as part of the, you know, the courseware that we're using. Um, so the challenges were different, you know, getting everybody an email account, you know, in the 90s and bulletin boards we used to use back then as well mm-hmm. to, to mm-hmm. encourage the collaboration uh, in our classrooms between teachers and uh it's pretty fascinating when you kind of reflect back of where we were. I forgot about first class for the okay. collaboration tool for our students, I mean, for our teachers. And you're right. That was exactly the superintendent's vision was that we're bringing this technology in, but it's not going to be useful unless you train the teachers. Yeah. And in fact, in the interview that I had, that was a main emphasis of them. They, I think they felt that they were comfortable that I could do the work but what they wanted was somebody that could actually teach adults and and that's a different skill set so and in fact when i left my big uh, you know my thesis or my, you know i wrote like a 10 page document of okay here's where we're at here's what we need to do you hit on one of them and that is maintaining it you know it's yeah. it's easy to buy stuff it's difficult to supply the food and diapers and everything else that needs to go with it. And, yeah. and uh, that was, so that was the big, that was one of my, my first things. But then the second was that whoever that, you know, I, I you know, my advice to them is that whoever they hired to, uh, to replace me needed to, to pick up and, um, and really be a, a superstar with, uh, with getting the teachers up to speed, because honestly, the teachers are the ones that are, uh, the closest to, to the students and they're the ones that can make the biggest impact with whatever technology that you bring in. So it's super important that every plan had the component in it that you not only are you going to buy all this software or hardware, but you're also going to devote some time and money to be able to get, make sure that, that it can be used properly by the teachers. It sounds like Ridley was doing the same thing. Yeah. It's, and, and with the, uh, you know, with the internet, the introduction of the internet, once that started hitting the mainstream there in the, in the mid nineties, I guess it's, it was, you know, the, the proliferation of information uh, or the availability of that as, a, as an educational resource or tool kind of uh, showed its head and, um, uh, you know, which, which kind of, you know, moved, moved uh, the need higher. You know, we, we st- you know moving from an industrial age into, into this information age, um, you know, it was challenging. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it was, it's, like you said, it's, it was easy to buy the hardware or figure out ways to fund it. Uh, it was more about getting the, the training and the the, uh, the 
to help people understand that this proliferation with the uh, with the internet was going to help them do their jobs better uh, and provide more resources to our students. Um, and it still, you know, continues to grow and grow and grow as you know more and more resources are available uh, on the internet now with cloud services and everything. So it is pretty fascinating when you look back over the, the historical timeline of technology, you know, where we were and, and as the internet, you know, introduced itself in the nineties and, and how much faster paced it is now uh, w- with solutions that are available to help, uh, help our, our children in our public schools. Oh, absolutely. Buddy, you know, when, when the 802.11 spec was ratified, yeah. um, I, I, you know, I, I was in the industry then I was out of education and I was, uh, I thought this is life changing for educators. You've now yeah. untethered a computing device, or potentially untethered a computing device, so now any learning space can be a I mean, any space can be a learning space. And that's a I, yeah, that, that's a big turning point. And you know, you used to have to plug wires in, and like you said, mm-hmm. now it, it proliferates itself into being able to, you know, move the technology anywhere, anytime, you know, and, and connect. <laughs> yeah, Steve Jobs used to say, what was it, 10,000 songs in your pocket? Now it's like, yeah. you know, you, it's the world in your pocket. Yeah, you don't have time you, to listen to it all. <laughs> That's not enough hours in a day. But we've outpaced it. Oh, yeah. Well, so then what do you, you know, I, you know, I hear, I hear all this, you know, I'm trying to get my head around, all, you know, this, these evolutions. You know, I, I understand the gamification. Um, in fact, we actually had that in the 90s with a lot of the uh, lab, uh, computer lab materials were games. And, you know, and it was incenting the children or the students to, to you know, achieve. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but man, now, you know, I keep hearing these things about artificial intelligence and virtual reality and other things like that. I have, has there been any talk about that? Any of your you know faculty? I think that's probably the next stage as, as we kind of try to find some level of stability, you know, and determine where we want to focus our efforts at, because there's just so many different directions you can go now, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and artificial intelligence, you know, you, you've got to get up to speed with that. Not, a, you know, mostly as a technology director or, or with our curriculum folks to see what types of uh, resources are available. Um, and there's a lot of STEM where there's science and math, Mm-hmm. You know, we're working through that uh, right now, trying to, you know, provide those, uh, you know, the advantages of the STEM program, to, you know, for uh, the skill sets needed to uh, to fit the, the worker of the future. You know, we have to really kind of see what, you know, forecasting what what the needs are of industry when our when our kids, you know, graduate from high school and they they go on to most kids now go on to college. And uh, a lot of the jobs are becoming more uh, specialized. Is, is how I see it, um, and providing opportunities within the, within the uh, high school and, and even at the elementary level uh, to experience some of these science and uh, technology and math, high math concentrated uh, uh, skill sets. We, we need to focus on that. Um, so, you know, we're still focused on test scores as well. So there's a balance <laughs> between uh, managing that and what the state requirements are, which can be kind of weigh you down into really uh, the benefits we want to provide to our children. Oh my gosh, Don, but you just nailed it. That it, is, it's, it's very difficult uh, to, to, to manage that balance because we're held at those standards. Uh, and at the same time, you know, we still need to spend the time in these uh, high uh, math and science areas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've heard many teachers complain that, you know, uh, you know, uh, so where I'm at in, in the Midwest here, um, 
I, my, my, again, my wife's a teacher. And so we, you know, we have a lot of friends who are educators as well. And one of the common themes is that with all of this, as you're mentioning, all this like drumbeat to teach to and to be able to evaluate and assess students be based on these standardized tests that, um, it used to be that you had a more holistic school year where that you had one standardized test, let's say it was in the spring, or maybe you had one, uh, another one in the fall to try to gauge where, what they, you know, what they knew when they coming in, what they knew when they leaving. But then, um, but then through it, it was then you progressed through your curriculum. You hit all the different things that you had and you had things planned for the entire year. But it now with all of these tests and there's way more than just two that, pretty much like three weeks before the end of the school year, you're done. There's nothing that you can, you know, and so now you're, you know, teachers are concerned because, you know, for any new teacher out there, the biggest skill you need to learn isn't something that you learned in class. It is how to maintain order and control in your classroom. You lose that and you might as well not even show up for work. Yeah. (laughs) I I think it's about improving on the efficiencies of how we deliver and and Mm. having a one-to-one program helps bring that to fruition um, where we have learning management systems and kids have time after school and uh, you know to kind of look look at topics and get into discussion boards with other kids so that the learning doesn't just um, happen during the, the course of a you know a seven hour day um, you know continues on uh, yeah so- that's what I think that's why I love stem so much I think I yeah. mean I you know, especially the maker spaces, the things that you can do, whether it's, you know, and, and especially after school, I, um, I had the, I had the great pleasure of uh, speaking at EduTech uh, 2018 in Sydney, Australia last month. And the, uh, one of the sessions that, that I, uh, that, that, that I spoke at had to do with STEM steam. And I played a YouTube video for, for the crowd. And it was two young men. Um, they were both uh, just in high school and they were, it was a five minute video. They were talking about how they hated how ketchup would be runny. And so that was a problem and they wanted to solve it. And they pulled out a notebook and you saw all these pencils and drawings and exclamation points and arrows pointing to this and that. And they got super animated when they started talking about what they did. And to me, again, I'm not a teacher, but I saw that and I go, oh my God, someone, some teacher just lit a spark in these children and these students. And for the rest of their life, they're going to recognize that they are empowered because they went ahead and used the 3D printer, created a thing, and it solved their problem. And now they're working on the next thing. Yeah, so that's, I, yeah that, that, well, that's our one of our, our mission statement. It really is to create problem solvers and critical thinkers. So that's really <laughs> exactly where you need to be. Um, and I think there's uh, when you're engaged into a project, you have uh, ownership, you get more enthusiastic and you kind of want to learn. So I think there's some of the, the traits that we want our kids to have the opportunity, you know, to, to give them real problems. And, and then they come up with the real solutions to those problems. Um, and, you know, so I, th- I think that's a big aspect uh, that, that helps, you know, kids stay focused in school uh, as well. Um, again, I'm not an educator, uh, but I've been here long enough and I've had enough conversations with different people to kind of see that. And, and it's, it's, it's really fun. Uh, to hear about these same similar kind of successes, uh, you know, right within the boundaries of our school district as well. Um, and, you know, so you, you look back at the, where technology was and you're like, yeah, we did some cool stuff back in the day. Uh, but you see what's happening now. Uh, and 
you know, moving forward. And it just seems to be moving at a much faster pace. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think that's a, an okay thing. With- oh, yeah. My first network in 93, I wanted a 100 meg backbone, and I thought that was going to be great for the, forever. Yeah. And, you know, and I was doing shared 10 to the, to the students and then uh, a dedicated 10 meg pipe to the teacher thinking, ha, I'll never need anything better than this. Yeah, well, and here we are today, right? <laughs> yeah, 40, 100 gig, 50, 25 gig, yeah, even well, multi-gig, you know? <laughs> well, we've got uh, two uh, 40 gig pipes from our middle school to our core data center and from our high school to the core. And then we got multiple 10 gig trunks coming back over. This is all private fiber back to uh, back to the data center nice. as well. And we've got, we're, we're just ramping up. We have about well, coming, uh, this coming September, we'll have, uh, four gig of internet connectivity uh, from four different circuits coming in. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, more bandwidth, uh, you know, firewalls and everything else that we didn't really didn't think much back, you know, back in the day about security, mm-hmm. but, you know, it's becoming more and more pertinent now as we're connecting more resources to the internet, you know, obviously we've got to pay attention to the legal ramifications, uh, you know, involving school safety and all those other things. Uh, so there's definitely more, to think about that, uh, in terms of maintaining a wide area network than are, you know, than back in the day in the nineties, you know? Yeah. Wow. Pretty fascinating. Well, I'll tell you what, that is actually, that could be another whole topic of ours for, um, for another podcast on security and family educational rights and privacy act and, and all the different things that go into it and the evolutions of it. And especially, you know, as students are becoming more and more engaged in a collaborative and virtual environments, you know, and what does all that mean? It was fun back in 1990 or 1986 when I started in data processing and then it kept evolving and it just kept being fun the whole time. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, it's like, there's, it seems to be more complicated and more things we got to deal with, with refreshes and, you know, and, and mobile device management and security and firewall technologies and storage architectures and, you know, all the network equipment itself. And I mean, it's just, there's so many, so many more pieces than there ever was. You know, yeah. and that's that's the big thing that I thought you just like cropped up after the 1990s. All of a sudden, bam, you have yeah. to have a data center and a, yeah. and a backup one, you know, not yeah. just one, well, but two. What, yeah, we have two of them now. And I, Danny Siegel was just here. They just hooked up a, a, an info block appliance. And it's like a 96 terabyte box that we're putting backup stuff on. I'm going to eventually put that over in the IU, you know, to keep it protected. Mm-hmm. But now we're just doing we're delivering it over the fiber network to a storage appliance somewhere else, you know. That's cloud stuff. Wow. It's absolutely fascinating, man. I never get bored of this stuff. So I tell you, Don, thanks so very much for um, sharing your, your, your experience with experiences um, with education technology, as we've saw it, you know, in, in its rise from coming in as a data processor to leading your school district and, and helping them with, you know, one-to-one initiatives and making sure that this, you know, the district is secure and that the bandwidth needs are adequate and, you know, and just managing all the vendor uh, relationships and everything that you've had to do throughout these years and teach the teachers how to be productive with the equipment. Uh, Just uh, love that. What a, what a great evolution here. This has been the Intelligent Campus with Greg and Don. Make sure to stay tuned for season one, episode two, coming soon.